There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien, and today I am uh, standing in the middle of an icy lake at Fort Peck in Montana with my good friend Andrew McKean, who's most recently the editor-in-chief of Outdoor Life, one of the better writers and thinkers that I know in our industry, and a good friend of mine. We've traveled the world together, and we're here in his hometown of Glasgow to do a little uh, ice fishing. So this whole podcast, we were sitting, kneeling around an ice hole. In fact, his legs fell asleep during the podcast. Kneeling around an ice hole, trying to catch a big lake trout. So that was a, a huge part of it. But the other part of we wanted to talk about was recruit, retention, and reactivation. The R3 model of getting hunters in our bucket and keeping them there. So it was a great conversation. A lot of fun here on the lake. Uh, we haven't caught any fish, but I've been happy to just be in this beautiful country and talk about hunting. So it's the first ever ice fishing podcast for the Hunting Collective. An unsuccessful one, but fun nonetheless. Enjoy. Oh, here we're going. Hey, Andrew McKean. Hey, Ben O'Brien. How's it going? That's good. Oh, man. My Wait. hands are warmed up. Let me take a quick swig of this old Milwaukee light as we get going here. That'll warm you right up. It's a little bit frozen. Yeah, it's a little slushy. Uh, it's got a little slush in it, which is not a big deal at all for me at this point. We are, uh, you know, it's a good way to always start these podcasts. What, um, you describe where we are. We are sitting on our knees in a desolate expanse of frozen lake. We very much are doing that. We're uh, we're off of Shaft House Point on Fort Peck Reservoir. I got a fishing rod here that's about 18 inches long in 500 feet of water. <laughs> okay, maybe it's only 100 feet of water, but it might as well be 500. Might as well be 500. Same amount of fish come out of either one. 
It's a, it's a it's an amazing country out here, man. This is the homeland. I'm, you live here. I am so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to be here. It, it like I said, I, yeah, just moving to Montana, and, and you know, you always were the uh, intrepid outdoor editor who found the found the perfect spot to live. <laughs> so the rest of us are jealous. Well, now that you've been here, so you haven't been here through all of winter or mosquito season, <laughs> and there's only about a week and a half in between the two. It's uh, it can be a challenging place to live, but yeah. So my hometown is Glasgow, Montana. Yeah. This is Fort Peck Reservoir, which is the largest body of water in the state of Montana. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> what did you say? It has as much shoreline as the state of California. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and far fewer rockfish. <laughs> far more ice fish and rednecks. There's, we're sitting in the middle of kind of a shanty town of sorts. Not the kind of shanty town that you don't really think of, but this is an ice shanty town. There's, it's not Leech Lake level, but it's no. pretty cool. Like, there's a little community here. Yeah, there's a little community of people. Most, most, I believe, in my brief ice fishing experience, it feels as if ice fishing and mostly just standing around drinking. <laughs> And you uh, every once in a while, you look at a rod. Like, oh, nothing's happening over there. And then our guys will be like, nah, they're not biting. we like, well, how much work have you done? And it seems like right now we're just sitting around. There's a bunch of dudes just talking. And uh, fishing maybe is secondary. Although you notice I am. I'm continuing to jig. As you are talking. jigging. As we're talking, you are jigging. And uh, if we catch a fish, that might be live. I'll give the live commentary <laughs> okay. on your uh on your ability to pull this, these giant things in. What, what kind of fish are in here so people know what, what we might be uh, pulling in? Well, Fort Peck is known for walleye. Yep. It's a pretty good walleye fishery. Maybe the second most famous or known fish is northern pike. There's a good smallmouth bass fishery here, but today we are in deep water fishing for lake trout. Yeah, we've caught a couple big old lake trout here, huh, before we got here. The guys that were already set up, a couple of big lakes on the ice. And they're good-looking fish. Man. They're <laughs> deep. Good. They're uh, how they're, they eat. They eat well. Man, they're a little bit fishy. A little yeah, bit. A little, little bit oily. But smoke them. Oh, or ba- yeah. I mean, they're good. Put them in the oil. Fry them up. Fry them up. <laughs> Always fry them up. The thing I like about this so far is we haven't gone to the the third level of ice fishing, which is you doubt everything. <laughs> your lure. You're constantly changing up. Yeah. What's wrong? Yeah. It's never that. Well, uh, Stephen Rennell has this ice, this camera they dropped down, and you can see the fish. We were, and he was describing watching the perch just like swim up to the bait and just gently put their mouth on it and then decide, no, 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 and back <laughs> off. And I feel like that makes you even more paranoid oh, once totally. you know that the fish are noncommittal in the way that they are. So you're like, if I just, just, this, this different jig, different worm, different weight, different leader. I wouldn't want that much information. The thing, of, the beauty of ice fishing is you have no idea what's going on down there, so you can just make it up. Oh, I know. You're like, you know what? I think this is where I think we just—it's just about persistence at this juncture, which it often is. Which it often is. But it's the feeling that you get, you know, when you're sitting out on the ice. We don't have any fancy stuff here, but you're just—we're drink. I'm drinking, and you're drinking old Milwaukee Light. This is the, uh, the American Pinup Series can. <laughs> You know, not sponsored, not sponsored. <laughs> yeah. But if, hey, listen, old Milwaukee, if you're listening to this, any of you marketing executives or any of your agency people, hit us up here. 
the Hunting Collective. We'd love to be sponsored by Old Milwaukee Light. This shit is delicious. And I kind of feel like we would bring our own new pinup series to it. Yes. Yeah, pinup ice fishermen. Here suit ice yeah. fishermen. <laughs> 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 yeah, just dudes in fur. <laughs> the, well, I mean, I think you're a hat. So yeah. Ben O'Brien today at the gas station in Glasgow, yeah. he comes out with this Dakota Dan hat. I mean, awesome. it's like a, it's a rabbit, mad rabbit bomber hat. Yeah. I thought he'd had it like it was a family heirloom. <laughs> and he wore it like in that kind of subtle way like yeah. yeah my great granddad broke this in yeah no I didn't announce that I was putting it on or anything I just slipped it on and it during a- conversation you must have said that you certainly got fuzzier in the last 20 minutes <laughs> yeah well part of it was just your Johnny attitude like, yeah yeah but my like, attitude changed immediately you wanted me to look at it and notice it yeah but I didn't put it together that it was a brand new purchase <laughs> it was only nine ninety nine. <laughs> shout out to the Glasgow Jiffy Lube where the fuck we were that was it was a good a good purchase. It's it's proven to be um, it's made in China, of course, and it but it's proven to be synthetic fur, I imagine, but proven to be a good a good purchase. The thing I like about this setup, and you can kind of hear it maybe in the background, the soundtrack to this. Oh yeah, it's we don't need no stinking ice shanty. We don't need. No. We're out in the elements here. We're literally on our knees. I can't feel my feet below we'll have my... have somebody take a picture of us. <laughs> it's the saddest podcast ever. Our backs are to the wind, which isn't helping. Uh, no. And I'm so distracted my, by my dog, <laughs> yeah. who is just... she's We call her the resident dumbass. She That's just surreal. chased uh, the loneliest snow goose in America <laughs> into the only open water on the lake, and she went in. She went in. And uh, that water's cold. We thought we were going to have to go over there and rescue her, but Nellie being Nellie, she found her way out of there, man. And she, she is standing beside us now, probably waiting to crop dust us <laughs> since our backs are to the wind. <laughs> you never know. But, yeah, I mean, this, this country, you know, talk a little bit about your home country here because it is, you know, the Missouri Breaks. It is Fort Peck. I mean, there's some pretty popular names, like I was saying before we are driving over here. I do feel like uh, – Fort Peck is something at least Montanans talk about a good bit, but I mean, I think the Missouri breaks are something that all hunters understand, you know, as a, as a destination. I think this is, you know, I, I moved here 20 years ago, uh, worked for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and I kind of thought this is going to be kind of a fun little hiatus on the way to somewhere else. Yeah. And there's a couple of things I know. It's one is you nailed, you nailed it. I mean, these sort of legendary locations the missouri river breaks is you know kind of synonymous with big mule deer and elk and bighorn sheep and it's all real that is in my backyard the milk river is just over our shoulder which was kind of lost a little bit of its luster but synonymous with big white tails oh yeah pheasant hunting i mean if you're if you're a sportsman this is a pretty nice place we were talking about back in the day when i was coming up real tree monster bucks man bill jordan was out there just bringing like all like Michael Waddell's coming out here every year and killing bucks, and that's what I knew of. And so when I thought of the Milk River, I thought of this you know hollowed ground, this destination that um, that is you know akin to Pike County, Illinois for whitetail. Yeah. You know, it was popularizing that way. Uh, and it, I mean, it still is. So the thing that has kept me here is yeah, there's to me it's as I t- said to Ben on the way out here, we really don't have an access problem. There's yeah. abundant public land. There's block management everywhere. In some ways, it's going back in time to 1950s America where 
if you know somebody, certainly if you live here, you get asked if you want to hunt their place. You don't have to ask the locals. They ask you. Yeah. Um, that's pretty nice. That um, is. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's rolling country. It's Black Hills. It's, you know, river bottoms. It's, I mean, you know, the view out your back porch, I, I said, made me feel like when uh, Captain Woodrow F. Call was in, drove all those cattle from, he's not a real person, he's a fictional character, <laughs> but he drove all those cattle from Texas, Montana. He came up on this ridge and he goes, boys, we're here. <laughs> this is the place. This is it. Uh, and your place feels much like that. And, uh, you know, that no, no, people that listen to this podcast know I've waxed, waxed about, uh, montana well enough but this this area i mean it's such a diverse state this area just feels a lot different than than many that i've spent time in well now i got to bring in the other part of it there's yeah. a reason there aren't very many very many people here <laughs> it's a it's a hard place to live i mean yeah. we've had a tough long winter we have uh long hot summers with the biggest mosquitoes you've ever seen the washington post just did a analysis of every zip code in in the country last year looking at infrastructure and the distance between towns and services. And they named Glasgow the loneliest town in America (laughs) when it comes to accessibility to to public services. So it's the middle of nowhere, and and that can really feel like it sometimes. It's it's 285 miles to the airport. <laughs> I mean, so you know you can do you can get to know yourself pretty let's well just, in this let's country. Let's just repeat that really quick. 285 miles <laughs> to, the, to the, airport. the airport. So anytime anybody listening complains about their airport run, mine's like five minutes, um, more like five miles. But I think it's it's uh, safe to say that this is tough country, man, and it makes for tough people, but hardy and good people too. I find just from my brief time out here. The thing I like about it, and also it grieves me a little bit, is it is like the best in 1950s America where yeah. everybody's watching out for you. It's been a great place to raise kids. But it's also the worst in 1950s America where I mean, people are kind of trapped in time in terms yeah. of like there's not a lot of ethnic diversity or culinary diversity. And everybody knows your business. Your business. Everybody knows your business. Yeah. I like it. Um but it makes going to the grocery store kind of a long. You got to prepare for it because they're going to make small talk for you're like two hours. <laughs> you're going to run into a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I think I think both. I think I think I yearn for both things, right? I think I yearn for like that small town feel where you know everybody, but I also like I also yearn to be connected and be you know in a place where a lot's going on. Like I yearn for that beehive of activity, but I also at the same time don't want to you know pass by a bunch of strangers on the street or go to the grocery store and not know a soul so there's there's you know there's gives and takes but you try to find a place where you can get both of those things i kind of feel like bozeman though as we were talking it's you know it's like paris in the 20s it's like the epicenter right now of a lot of cool stuff so i i think yeah. you've actually got that yeah i think it's close um but so nobody else moved there it's <laughs> full I'm already like that old Montana. Here's this is my favorite. Like if anybody wants to go and read the reviews of my podcast, uh, there's like there's some one stars in there. There's a couple dozen of those in there, and uh, one guy just wrote, and this is after I had already moved to Montana. State of Montana, it's full one star. I was <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, well, well sound review of this media product. Well, uh, I, you know, I don't want to denigrate my hometown too much, but I'll tell you this. So we've lived here, yeah, we've lived here 19 years. We've raised, my daughter was born here. We've yeah. raised, it will take another 
87 years before we're like residents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least three generations. At least three or four generations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People always say, "Oh, aren't where are you actually from?" Yeah. Um, yeah, where are you, if you're from, you don't have you don't sound like you're from here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'll yeah, I've got a lot long ways to go. But, you know, in, in an effort of transition and speaking of raising kids, your kids are, you know, high school age, right? Yeah. And your two uh, twin sons are ready to go off to college. And and I think all three of your kids are, you know, hunters at some level, right? I mean, you oh, yeah. call them all avid hunters, but they certainly live in, in the Mecca uh, to take up outdoor pursuits. You you know, you were, for folks that don't know Andrew's background, you know, you were uh, editor-in-chief at Outdoor Life for how many years prior to? Uh, seven years. Seven years. Um, and have been in the outdoor industry and in wildlife management and, and such for many years prior to that. And so, I mean, you've involved yourself in a lot of, you know, hunter recruitment and uh, hunter retention types of activities and, and written about it for Outdoor Life and been a part of a lot of editorial um, products that, that spoke about it in broad and micro sense, you know. What, what do you feel like for your kids, their generation, like, what's the, you know, I don't want to call it their plight, but what's their biggest challenge to, you know, maintain what they've got here in Glasgow? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, one of the, I guess, motivators for me being involved in, you know, the kind of, I would say kind of the greater pass it on movement is, so my daughter is a freshman in high school in Glasgow, Montana. She's 15. She took hunter education when she was 11 year old, like yeah. a lot of Montana kids. It's not, these are not big classes, but I think she's got 50 kids, 55 kids in her grade. Yeah. There's only two girls who hunt yeah. and maybe three or four boys who hunt. This is impossibly this is, the huntingest this town is, in America. This is, I would say, <laughs> this is the Mecca. If yeah. anybody thinks of like a place where you have access to a plethora of game, you know, and just a culture that supports it, this is it, man. So it's, I mean, it's not a given that just because you are raised here and maybe your folks have always done this that you're going to. So that was kind of the first thing. It's like we got to really work on that, the funnel, you know, the, the throat of the funnel and getting more kids involved in it. But then I started looking at my buddies and the generation above me. Hell, there's a couple of them out here on the ice we just saw. They don't do it much anymore. Yeah. They're aging out. And so the big kind of the national perspective is tying those two things together. We're an aging population. All the statistics say at about age 66, you just don't do this much anymore. Yeah. Even though you may have the interest and, and you know maybe now the financial ability and the time to do it, you just don't have the physical desire to do it. And so yeah. the the big problem is we're not replacing ourselves as we age out with a new generation coming in. Yeah, it's the, the baby new. boomer issue. Right? Yeah, right. It's the, you know, that, that world, post-World War II boom in hunters yeah. uh, and we're, we're in the decline. And I think I think it's this is no news to anybody. There's been a concern about it for a long time, which is why there have been all the kids programs that yeah. state agencies and the NGOs think about the Turkey Federation's Jake's program. Yeah. Like, oh, we got to work on really making it attractive to kids. The fallacy with that whole thing has been, and I've participated in this fallacy myself, is typically you think about kids who go to like a field day for a turkey federation. Mm -hmm. They're the kids of the parents who are already involved in that. Those are the most likely kids to be involved just as a family tradition. And so I don't think it follows that kids, just because they're exposed to it, are going to do it. There's just a lot of distractions, a lot of other choices that they have. Yeah, and I think... 
it comes to like there's another part of it another part of the dichotomy is very much that uh and i was this way to some extent i don't know if your kids will be this way we'll see but you know you your your parents teach you hunting your dad is normally the the way that that goes but you know somebody in your family or some close friend becomes your mentor teaches you hunting and then you turn 18 you go to high school um you discover the opposite sex you discover um parties you discover other things sports old milwaukee, old light. milwaukee light shout out to old milwaukee light hashtag pin up can american series not <laughs> hashtag not sponsored uh <laughs> this shit is good um but i think it it I dropped off during college a good bit because I had a job, I had an internship, I I was taking a full course, 12 course, uh, or 12 credit, three courses, and I dropped off of hunting, uh, at least as, you know, when when I wasn't with my dad. So the danger is that that's, we focus on the youth, right? We got to get them in, we got to get them in. Well, we got to retain them too, right? You bet. We got to keep them in. Um, And so I think that's something that is starting to be recognized as well because there's a lot of, a lot of drop-off. Well, you think about kids, too. I mean, there may be that avidity. There's not a lot of other things in their lives. But you start to think about what, how to build a self-perpetuating machine. Yeah. Kids don't have disposable income. They don't have disposable time. They don't have disposable transportation. So they're totally dependent. And so you're exactly right. What we're, what we're looking at... Yeah, explain. Let's let's, let's yeah, explain R three and kind of your involvement kind of, in it and, and give people an idea of what's going on. This isn't an isolated, you know, thought that we've got to do something to really perpetuate these traditions. And we can kind of talk about what's dependent on that perpetuation. Shit, it's shoot. It's the entire funding structure for wildlife management in America yeah. is participants fund wildlife management, game wardens, yeah. the whole system. And so once we start to see big drop off. There's meaningful impacts yeah. in terms yeah. of there's well, not enough funding to get this stuff done. Well, they'll anymore. say most. I think the average is, and, and uh, this changes, so this is not a direct uh, stat that I'm quoting, but it's, it's around 60% of most state agencies' funding comes from tags and Pittman-Riverson-type funds, yeah. you, you know, excise tax-type revenues. And so that's a huge number. Um, and that's, like I said, that's all dependent on these user groups going out and buying licenses and spending the money and doing the things that's required to go hunting. So we, we've created this inter, this system that's beautiful and it's beautifully intertwined, but it also, you know, hinges on participation. So the, I, there, there have been a lot of demographic studies just looking at kind of cultural changes over time that have, have taken the national look at this and said, okay, so there's the throat of the funnel we talked about. That's the recruitment side. There's the um, retention side, which is if you've started hunting, like you in college, like an awful lot of people, how do we bring these people back and kind of keep them in the fold? Yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work. Try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription. And you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? 
It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the term, you know, where did the term, like R3 is the term that we, that was coined. Um, and pe- you know, something I think people need to know, and it's, it, it's more of an industry um, term, but take people through where, where that first started and kind of where you first heard it and what you think of that model, uh, or at least that articulation of the needs for that funnel. So the, just to be um, clear, R3 is, so it's recruitment, retention, and then reactivation. And that's that idea that you may have had some exposure to this at some point in your life, you fell out of it. How do we bring those people back in? So we're not starting from scratch with a whole bunch of new people who have to understand you know, the value of wildlife and, and the tradition of, in America. So those are the three R's. I actually, I didn't really hear about it in terms of like an almost kind of branding campaign until yeah. just a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's very recent. Um, and like a lot of these things, I'm, I'm an agency alum and veteran, but agencies drive me crazy <laughs> for a couple of reasons. One, they coin things like this R3 movement. Well, it's not a movement until people make a difference. Yeah. You can't just say it's going to happen and then it's, it's just gonna, words. It's just a bunch of words. They did make like a nice logo, I believe. But it's, it's, it's just logo. words. But I guess the words that like a concept that we can agree with, but it's the concept in action, right, as you say. And honestly, reactivation is kind of clunky. Yeah. So if I had to say maybe it's two R's and then maybe we find another word for a that A U one. or something. <laughs> maybe a Y. R or Y. <laughs> um, the other thing that drives you crazy about state agencies is they want to just study everything to death and then 
improve the concept, which is it's the scientific method. I get it. It's yeah. how we manage lots of our wildlife. But the human dimension of what we do kind of resists that sometimes. And so yes. one of my um, foundational principles about this is our ability to recruit, retain, and reactivate people may not work the same in Illinois or New York or Montana. It's going to be a little bit different. But we can sit here as, as people who care about it and study it for 15 or 20 years in that time the world isn't standing still waiting for our conclusions. No. Let's just do some stuff. Yeah. Let's just kind of do it. But state agencies are kind of resistant to that idea. Yeah, they have to, they have to act on. I mean, it's, it's governmental <laughs> action. Can't be spoken. Let's just see if this works. But we have one, to have a study and a basis on, on which to act. But one of the reasons I think we need to act is because, um, you know, demographics wait for no man yeah our baby boomers are leaving the fold we're not replacing ourselves very well but here's the interesting i think exciting thing is think about that continuum of kids who didn't have the disposable time or income people who do i think are the most energetic and yeah and source of greatest potential and that's the you know the 25 year old college graduate who's really looking for something in their life to give a meaning and something to do something to join um, I think the local food movement has probably been the best thing that's happened to this. And really the whole idea of the outdoors is being an authentic experience. Nobody is going to sugarcoat it for you. It, you can have a mentor or somebody to guide you, but ultimately you're, you're kind of on your own. You're going to find out a lot about yourself out in the elements. And I think that's actually the most exciting thing. I, I look at it almost as like a new homestead movement. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it too because, you, you know, it's it's cultivating this willingness to you know charge ahead and and fail and start again and it's not you know I think some of the fallacies in our current media space is that the, there's there's this like focus on the success right you got like you can't yeah. have a TV yeah. show without a dead animal you can't have um, the more <laughs> the more dead critters you get on your your social media the more likes you're gonna get just by nature of the way that it works. But and that, those things are all great, and that's that's a depiction of what we do. You're not going to erase, you know, those things. But at some level, get my oh, dog oh. Nelly back. Nelly, <laughs> old Nelly, the dumbass. <laughs> she's, she's kind a, of a coyote. She's a forager. She's a forager. <laughs> she's she's going looking from for ice hole to ice hole, she, she's looking, looking for bait. For, yeah, looking for bait. Looking for the occasional fishtail. Our neighbors are packing up. Getting out of town. Why do I suddenly feel so alone out yeah. here? <laughs> We're like, everybody left us. It was a great podcast. We had to walk home. <laughs> Nelly! Come on, Nelly. Come on, Nelly. Come here now. Here she goes. Kind of. She's she's skulking her <laughs> way toward us. Yeah, whatever. I'll come back. Um, yeah, I like these these ice fishing interludes. Hopefully we get an interlude where there's a fish on. Fish there, on! So looking over back at my hole. My hole looks like it's it's doing good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think we talk we like we talk about this, and I've talked about this a lot. But it's important to note that we talk about this. We you know we, we would be proactive on it even if we weren't in the situation we're in. Um, nope. Uh, Nelly's good. back. Nelly, right here, <laughs> right here, kid. Nelly, come here. Go over here. There you go. Um, we would be talking about it even if we were in a healthy situation, I think. But we oh, wouldn't I so be, I, I don't think we would be as uh, active and as, you know, we should be desperate in a, in a lot of ways to, to to stem the tides. It's interesting, though. You kind of hit on this. I think we all who are define our lives by what we do understand it through and through. We don't, there's no shortcuts. 
you earn what you put into it. It's kind of a feedback loop that way. Yeah. I think there's been a tendency, we talked about kind of giving kids all these opportunities. You see it in youth seasons, all these other things too. There's a real tendency to say, okay, we want to open the gate for a bunch of new participants. We have to make it as easy and ex- as accessible as possible. I actually think that's the wrong approach. Yeah. Because I think the value of this is it is hard. It, it can't be so hard it's intimidating. There, have, there has to be success, but there also has to be a little bit of a challenge that boosts the reward as the outcome when it finally happens. Yeah. Well, that's why I think introducing things like small game to the equation, right? If you're, yeah. there's, you know, a lot of folks that listen to this that are new hunters and have written in or chatted with me about the challenges of being a new hunter. And um, there are many challenges, but there also are many doors that are hanging wide open for you to walk through. You just have to, you just have to do it. And yeah. you don't, don't, you know, don't get caught up in the dogmas of hunting that you got to go out and kill a big old elk or yeah, a big old white right. tail. Um, so that's what I think the kind of the revitalization of small game hunting. I have more fun, as much fun hunting cottontails or squirrels or running around, just running around the woods with my friends as I, as I do anything else. So, I mean, there, there certainly is so much value in that that, I think it's coming back. I mean, I'm, we might have lost it as a culture a little bit for a while, but I think it's coming back. Oh, I think it is. I am so optimistic about it. But I think there's some structural things, too. So if you accept that the activity itself can be a challenge, getting into it shouldn't be. So yeah. one of the things I really work on is like trying to simplify state regulations. And this the gateway to participation doesn't have to be as hard as it is. Yeah. Because the activity itself, you're going to find your own way, and it can it can be a struggle, but at least let's get people to the table and to the game. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of work that we can do there, um, really, as a community of of citizens to say, okay, we want to perpetuate this. This is, I want my kids to come back home or to make this a part of their lives that perpetuates my tradition to their great grandkids and great great grandkids. It's an important thing to me. There's there are ways to make it easier. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is I look at our community of people who love this, define their lives by it. There are things that we can do. We we need to be passing it on to just people who don't look like us, people yeah. in our neighborhoods who may express an interest, share our gear, share our time, share our knowledge. <laughs> we as a community of people are kind of hoarders. We hoard <laughs> our secret spots. We hoard our gear. We hoard a lot of stuff. I think over time we need to start to break that open. We need to share a lot more. That's a hard, I mean, that's a, that's a big push for a lot of people. Yeah. And it, it seems like as you talk, as you speak about it in these like broad generalities, it seems, you know, <laughs> it may seem a little bit shallow, but a little bit pedantic or whatever. But to me, it's, it's as important a conversation is to have. And you, like we, you and I were talking not long ago about doing it on a small level. Right. So yeah. two examples, that I've, you know, kind of watched over uh, as long as we've known each other and then something we talked about the other day, one would be how you brought your kids up, right? And you've written about that in Outdoor Life and covered it there. One of the favorite things you ever did was Iris Hunts, yeah. which was your daughter. Um, well, it's her first hunting adventures. And so it's that, like it's talking about that experience in a human way, right? It's a human interest. Like how does this, how does this, how is this delivered from this little girl? Um, and how does she go through it? And the other one is like the return to the lo- the movement for local stewardship, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we were talking about the local rod and gun club. Oh yeah, yeah. The other day, so these are 
these are very different things. Um, <laughs> Nelly is. <laughs> That's the new pinup girl right there. Get him, Nelly. <laughs> hey, girl. Um, so those are the two things from you that uh, I really wanted to know about. Because, you know, one is the, just the narrative of, of you and Iris, and, um, your, your two twin sons, how that worked for you and your personal experience. But then greater, how do you feel like uh, on a local level we can get back to just caring about our community and using and using that as a way to express hunting and fishing. And I think that that's, that's a more personal thing for people to talk about rather than just talk about these these broad 11 million this and 12 million that. Absolutely. I think I think that just puts people to sleep. Nobody gets the scale of things. People listen to this like a couple of dudes on yeah. their knees on the ice. <laughs> Wind just, howling. Uh, just talking about some bullshit. But there's there's personal things that happen that, you know, shape your shape the way you think about hunting. The it's funny like I mean, I'm a dad of three kids. My my boys are twins it was an easy thing to kind of take them and introduce them to things but my daughter's had an aptitude for this for a long long time but i mentioned you know there's not a big tradition of her peer group it's kind of funny she's she's a she's a kid who's looking for <laughs> well that's a good look right there it looks like a you bunch a of okies headed to california holy shit now what we just what just we have to describe what just drove by is that Three dudes on a four wheeler sitting on top of a cooler. Each one has a beer in their hand. They got an auger strapped to the front. They got a they got an ice sled on the back full of buckets of ice fishing gear, and they're just try. It's like a parade float. It kind of looks to me like a mobile garage sale. Yeah, it looks like maybe it looks like you know how the the, the wagon train in the west. <laughs> Two of those dudes will die before they reach their destination. God, One will wonderful. be eaten. That's a Milwaukee Light commercial <laughs> that, dude, that just drove by us, those boys. I'm so uh, surprised Nelly didn't join that. Uh, just because it looked. I kind of want to join it. I did it too. looks like a. It was not room for us. No, no. no in, many, in many, many ways, there's not room for us there. But anyhow, you're raising your kids. So, yeah. So, to me, I knew this was something that we were going to do anyway. So, that, w- that was easy, but it's. It was easy in the sense of I, we have the place to do it, and it was to me a little bit of a laboratory. The harder thing to me was, this is a hard thing to say. Is this going to sound? You said pedantic. I said pedantic in a podcast. What a douche! And I think it was about me. There was a. I went. No, there was a. There was you know. There's shallow and pedantic. That came from a comedy. I can't remember the particular one. Um, I actually think it's easy as hell to teach your own kids these things. What's hard is somebody else's kids or yeah. somebody who is doesn't have the same origin point as you do. As we, through the outdoor life piece, started thinking about how do we talk about making a difference and making this scale. Because it's one thing to one-to-one is how most of us learn how to hunt. It's with right. a parent or an uncle or a family friend. It doesn't scale very well. No. If you think about we're trying to make a big global difference or at least national difference, you've got to figure out a way to replicate yourself more than just once. And so at Outdoor Life, one of our projects was to figure out ways that we could expand the footprint of just one person. Yeah. You know, the NGOs have done it with pretty well with field days and all that stuff. We just talked about how kind of shallow that is. So we actually talked about what if each of us take three people out. Yeah. The the kind of the, the foundational principle for this is if somebody expresses an interest in hunting and 
asks you to take them hunting and you don't do it, you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. The problem with that is if 15 people all express that and, and you, you're committed not to be an asshole, you don't have time for yourself anymore. Yeah. So what's like the asshole threshold? Is so that, to me, it's to three people a year. That's pretty good. Man. It's if you're pretty good. Three people hunting a year. But you got to think about it now. You, if that's your filter too, you can actually be a little selective because if, yeah. you, if you're dependent, depending to scale this up, now you can start to pick and choose people who are going to replicate your experience to another generation of yeah. people. This is kind of the classic pyramid scheme, yes, that's right? right. <laughs> Influence the influencers, as yeah. they like to say. So to me, that's the secret for this whole thing. I think there's enough people who have an interest. Oh, yeah. This is the recruitment part of the R. Yes. Like, find people who are going to follow on with this and follow through with this. Wait, what? Uh, what? Are, wait a minute. We just had a little visitation here. They're oh, pulling man. out fish galore. Chester from RER Bows, he's coming. Are we get what is that for? Is that for us? Fuck yeah, man. Flopping fish. We're gonna we'll eat them. You co- Thanks, over, brother. Come over to the office. We'll cook them up for you. No, this is a perfect part of the podcast. You made it on. You made it on the podcast as the f- deliverer of fish. <laughs> <laughs> Well done, man. So a snowmobile just rolled. Is it rolled? Sluiced up to What's us. What's it do? Yeah, it's like slides it a little. Slide, maybe treaded up. Propelled was propelled, uh, and it and out flopped a couple of big Lakers. And, and we're Nelly, eat them up. Nelly, those are not for you. They're not for you. <laughs> She's convinced there was been a faction <laughs> on the ice. I feel oh. like there's every serious conversation about. Hunter recruitment should be interspersed with like <laughs> random visits from fucking snowmobiles <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be. Uh, but back to what. So, pick your pick your people who are going to pass it on. The thing I did this past year and the going kind of community thing is, we have a local sporting group called the Highline Sportsmen. It's not associated with any critter group or anything. It's just a bunch of us middle of nowhereers who. Yeah really like to work together and we really like to fish and hunt and we realized that the big skirt groups were leaving out a lot of little small conservation missions like yeah. right it was they're saving habitat for turkeys and pheasants and stuff but what about like the habitat for humans yeah. <laughs> for people <laughs> and so one of the things we took on we i was kind of an evangelist about this whole mentor thing and so we all as a group said we're each going to take out one person that's the way to scale it right there, too. Yeah. So there's a lot of people in this town, even though it's we don't have an access problem, we got game all around us, who don't have an experience of hunting or fishing. And so each of us who were able to took out one, two, and even three people. And that's where I was saying, that's the yeah. hard thing. Yeah. Because these people, they don't have their own gear, so you're sharing their gear. They don't have a place, so you're sharing your place. And they don't have, they're sharing your time, too. To me, that was the heaviest lift of all. But holy cologne, it was also the most rewarding of all to see these people who have never hunted or fished before holding up a gigantic back uh, quarter of a mule deer that they just killed I mean, and they're going to take home and feed their families. It's just, uh, where is, what's this person going right here? What's this lonely walker going across the ice? I see Nelly taking them down. <laughs> yeah. No, the funny thing is, you know, like you would say, this is, is, is this great, you know, philanthropic thing you're doing there. But it really is as rewarding for the mentor as it is for the mentee. 
Like it is, and it's like it a is. personal. I love it, man. I love doing it. I've done it uh, several times, not three a year, which I need to start. But that you know, there's something in it for the mentor. I mean, there really is, and uh, it, it makes you a better hunter because you see it through the eyes of someone that's never like seen it. It opens it up to you. I think that's actually a that's a huge part of it. I hadn't thought about to right now. It it made me a much more aware hunter because you're trying to maximize the success of the whatever mentee we've had a hard time figuring out what to call it it's not really really an apprentice mentee sounds like like someone swimming around (laughs) florida (laughs) or maybe like a mint um so whatever that apprentice is um you know you want them to have have a good time i think this is the other thing they have to have success oh yeah going out and just seeing game is not enough going out and just smelling the earth and being part of nature that ain't enough. They've got to have the at least the chance to pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you take away the like the, the constructs for those of us who have hunted a long time and feel like we're pursuing like the bigger the animal, the better. You know, if you could strip that away a little bit, that that helped. That's helped me in the past. See that, like, man, I had the greatest time. All we did was shoot a javelina, and all we did was cook up a javelina. But it was one of the greatest days I've had running around outside. And, like, all we did was shoot a mess of squirrels. But it's the greatest day I've had in a long damn time. Yeah. And then you start to learn that, like, if I would just get out of my own way in a lot of these in a lot of these cases, I'd be fine. You know, if I would just <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> just get out That's of your exactly own damn right. way. And that, but those people don't know how to get in their way. All they're trying to do is go right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. But the cool thing is, so the, so I took these three people out last year, and my kids participated too, which I'll, you that's, know. That's awesome. It was really neat for my kids to be part of that whole thing. They took them out occasionally too, and and it doesn't stop there. So this spring in Montana, there's a window of opportunity to put in for special permits. So these people I introduced to hunting last year are like, okay, I'm ready to take the next step. Where do I put in for elk? Like, hell yeah. hell yeah. That's the way it's supposed to work. Hell yeah. Now, I'm not giving away my spot. No, you'd be like, two no, times you in a got row. to work for it, you <laughs> son of a bitch. You get out there and you tell me where to go next year. But yeah, it, it's, man, it's, there's something about it, too. So, like, if, if, if you're able to, man, it, 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 it'll change, not only change the person that you're with, but it'll change you. I teach hunter education here, and you know, for all of the listeners, if you don't teach hunter ed, I encourage you to because it's—I mean—it's an easy lift. It's easy to do. Every state agency is looking for volunteers to help teach this. This is really just an extension of that. Yeah. But um, one of the things I notice in hunter education, we talk about the stages of a hunter, right? You know, there's the the beginner who just wants to shoot. There's the 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 limit filler who just wants to fill whatever limit is available. Then there's the method. There's the yeah. trophy hunter. There's also, you know, at the end of the road, there's the philosopher hunter or whatever. Uh, I think this is the perfect manifestation of that philosopher hunter. Yeah. What I notice is I, th- I feel like there's a lot of people in our world who get exposed to this R3 discussion who are like, I know I should do it. I feel bad that I don't. I don't think you should. It's the, it's the sort of thing that at some point in your trajectory as a hunter or a sportsman, this is going to come to you, and you're going to do it. If you're not doing it now, don't worry about it. But just be aware that yeah. your work is needed. When it when you're ready, there's going to be yeah, there's going we, to be demand. I, we were t- I don't know if we were talking talking the other day about um, you know podcasting, right? Um, you're involved in it a lot. Of, like pretty much everybody that has the capability nowadays is involved in it. And um, that doesn't mean you know the fact that you can do it doesn't mean you have something to say. And I, you know, if you would have talked to me six or seven years ago when I first heard about podcasting, had I started one, I wouldn't have had a whole lot to say. Yeah, and I, you know, 
that that grows, right? So it's the same kind of thing. It's it like is. when you're ready and you feel confident and you codified your ideas and the way that you hunt and you've you know done all the work that you had to do, then you can open yourself up to to giving to other people in, in different ways. But you don't have to force force yourself into it. And man, I would love yeah, for me moving into Montana to teach hunter safety. You know, have my wife and son come, have my wife cook. You know, big casserole for everybody, and we'll teach hunter safety and hang. Like the, that would be a great way to spend my life, and I, I'm sure I would enjoy the hell out of that. Um, when I don't have little kids, I'd probably be better. <laughs> I'll probably be better suited. You know, so like it's a time I'm, of life. Yeah, it's a time of life for sure. One of the things people ask about all the time is like, what's the playbook for this? Like, how do I actually do it? How do I break it down? How do I, and I think one of the things that is magical about hunting and fishing and being an outdoors person is there ain't no playbook. (laughs) You make it up as you go along, but I also think that's the great beauty of it. It makes it hard to replicate though, because it's, it's a handmade thing. Your ability to teach somebody is, it's not a mass production. You you give and you take in pretty small increments. All right, that frustrates the ability to scale this for sure. Yes. But I think also those the intimate relationships, when you're with a, one other person in the field, there's no looking away. There's no, like, escape ground. And so it, you're kind of forced to face a lot of things, yep. you know, whether it's your own lack of knowledge about things, your own lack of um, experience. That's a huge point you just made. Like, when you're walking around, and this has happened to me several times, you're walking around in the woods with someone who's never been in the woods and they're asking questions, the simplest questions, and you've never thought of these simple questions. Like you could say, you could say exactly how and why an elk might be standing in that spot that he's in, but you can't tell him, you can't say the tree that he's under or the type of grass that he's munching on, you know, or like, or understand what a riparian corridor is or, uh, you know, explain the taxonomy. Like there's just, there's things that they'll ask that you realize, holy shit. I skipped over that and went right to like the yeah. mechanics of my compound bow. And so those things are, you know, it's not a pro like, you know, everybody has those knowledge holes. All of us do. Nobody's perfect. Uh, but it's nice to have somebody to like open that up to you and realize that, man, I need to, you know, if I'm going to teach my son, I need to be able to tell him what that elk's eating, why they're eating it, why it's growing there, why it was growing over there, where they bed, where, you know, and, th- and those things are, uh, important and enriching for the you know the veteran hunter who just doesn't hasn't seen it that way because uh, I know I don't, I don't know if you do but I know a lot of hunters that can get you to that elk and call that elk and make sure you kill it better than anybody but couldn't tell you any of the things I just described absolutely and absolutely so, so I think it like it, it widens the aperture in many ways uh, in many good ways no fish. Oh no, I'm jigging like a mofo over You're here. You're jigging though. the. Fun. I mean, you know, we we got ice on the line. <laughs> just, I mean, I, mean, I keep feeling like I have fish because my line weighs so much now <laughs> with accumulated ice. But we're not gonna we're not gonna get there. But uh, tell people describe a little bit about your hunt with Iris and like you know from her eyes. Like you said, she she doesn't have or didn't and doesn't have a peer group of uh-huh. you know uh, young lady hunters running around with her. So. Um, you know, you're kind of through her doing a little Trojan horse activity <laughs> into the local, the local population. So, I think everybody who has a kid, or even a, somebody that may take hunting for the first time, is going to be familiar with this. But like, 
as the teacher, you want success so bad. Yeah. You want it to happen. One of the interesting things with my daughter is, so she's a good shot. She's super safe with guns. She's pretty knowledgeable about wildlife and where to find them. What I didn't recognize is she's also a total school marm when it comes to <laughs> ethics and waiting for the perfect shot. Yeah. The biggest problem for me, and I still actually see it with her. I mean, now she's 15. We've got four seasons under our belt. Now, of course, she's become this trophy hunter, not just any deer <laughs> will do. It's like, what have I done here? Yeah. What have I done with Nellie? She's heading over to an entire different camp. Oh, Nellie. That's yeah, fine. I'm sure we'll see her again. She'll, she'll make it back. <laughs> she made it out of the ice earlier. So <laughs> so, she's made it from harder. So, you know, as a mentor or somebody who's teaching, you, you kind of get these small victories. Okay, we've, we've, in this case, we were hunting deer. We, we found the deer. We've executed a great stalk. Here's this shot we've set up. We've kind of yeah. waited. What we as experienced hunters recognize is when the stars align and everything is right, we act on it. Yeah. What we forget is we can kind of see when that shot is perfect. Yes. What a young hunter, a beginning hunter doesn't see is their expectation of perfection is different than ours. They think perfection is going to last forever. And they have all kinds of time to kind of get settled and get their breathing right. I bet with Iris' first hunt, we had five or six excellent shot opportunities. But, and it was perfect. It was perfect for an uncountable fraction of a second when we as experienced sportsmen know that's when you take it. <laughs> And she would just, she would wait too long and then it would become imperfect and she couldn't take the shot. So that was actually a source of great frustration. I, I had no ability to articulate that to her. I'm like, why didn't you shoot? And I would just, you know, I kind of lose my shit a little bit. What I recognize now is that's actually part of the learning curve too, is to say, hey, when things are right, they're right. And you have to have the confidence of perception to act when things are right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that takes a long time in the evolution of a sportsman. Oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about that on the drive up here with a couple of guys from Mediator about the intersection of, like, your ability to make the shot and the opportunity. Like, that's the sweet spot. It's that's not that spot. you're just looking, like, the first opportunity you get, you just pull the trigger, or the first time, or, like, or you're going to wait till you're 10 yards away from an animal and shoot it every time. It's the, it's the cross-section between... You know the intersection, that sweet spot of I have the right opportunity and I have the ability to make that opportunity, to turn that opportunity into success, and that's I think what people struggle with throughout their hunting careers. So what you know, why wouldn't it be be that way in the first shot? Well, we have the accumulated knowledge to know that those, those fleeting moments may not happen again. Yeah. So it really kind of puts that emphasis on it. We better take it when it happens. If you're a beginning hunter, you think this happens every day, all day. <laughs> so why be in a hurry? Why do I, you know? Why really emphasize that intersection? And that's right. I mean, I think it to me it um, it's you know you watch kids, you watch their eyes, man. You just watch their facial expressions. And, and I, when I was a kid, I had I missed three deer, wounded a deer, and then had a rifle cartridge not go off on another deer, which I don't think I've ever had. I haven't had since then. And so it was like my sixth try, I got a deer. <laughs> And this is rifle hunting, you know. And none of those deer were more than 75 yards away, but I was 12 years old. And so I think I was in that situation too. I thought, well, every time – this is over like a two- or three-day period. I'm like, every time you go out, you get two or three chances at a deer. You know, so, the ne well, the next one will come by. next one will come by. Uh, and you just you, – with perspective, with, with learning, you learn that perspective. That's not always the case, man. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. 
picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. But Iris got a deer eventually, huh? Iris got a deer. She had said, oh, this is the other thing. Like, uh, she borrows this from my dad, who uh, actually he came out here to eastern Montana. He had a cow elk tag. We got permission to hunt this ranch where it was full of cow elk. And I said, hey, dad, what's your effective range? He's like, 300 yards. I'm like, all right, that's great. No, no problem. We, we got 12 cows at 308 yards. And I'm waiting for my dad to shoot. He wouldn't, wouldn't shoot, wouldn't shoot. The cow elk start drifting away. I'm like, dad, why didn't you shoot? He's like, well, they weren't at 300 yards. <laughs> <laughs> That's badass. <laughs> so Iris inherited this thing from my dad. It was like, hey, 200 yards is her effective range. She was shooting with, she was hunting with a 243. Yeah. Uh, we had blown opportunities inside of 200 yards. Finally, we had one at 240, and she was not going to take the shot, which I greatly admired her for. Finally, when things were lined up, she took the shot at like 270 yards with a 243 and, and dropped a young mule deer buck with one shot. So our first season was a great success. You can actually yeah. check it out. 
look at iris hunts and there's a whole video series on this whole it's thing it's great yeah it's one of some of the best writing i've ever read in the outdoor space i mean it is fantastic um you know it'll bring a tear to your eye but you know you asked her last night what she was thinking about doing you know in terms of like a career she's a freshman in high school what does she yeah, know it was but, a bad question i got i got challenged for even asking it but, but it's, it's you know it's this, relevant i guess i think this tells you a little bit about the potential effectiveness of this R3 stuff to bring it back to that is she defined herself right then and she wants to be a wildlife biologist or a veterinarian something to do with both the outdoors and wildlife yeah and don't discount that it was actually a pretty good question um I, it'll change yeah I'm sure it will but that's something that is like has helped define who she is from those early experiences yeah and that's that's you know you want to help to like give your kids the room to have those experiences and i think hunting and fishing do that it just does and it's it's if done correctly of course or if you know if done within the responsibility of you know a good family and you know just just good ethics and good moralities like those things it, it doesn't like give kids perspective and we've said i've said on this podcast before it's like a three-dimensional perspective right because if you yeah, take if you yeah. just take them to the damn if you're like hey i'm going to take you to uh the amusement park and you'll get to ride all the rides that's just you go up you wee and you come you get an experience you come down and there's nothing that came from it other than the experience this is different you have an experience it's fun it's kind of like the roller coaster ride there's ups and downs and there's emotions and such but then those emotions turn into reality when you pull the trigger and you kill something and the benefit you get is is the meat and taking part in conservation those types of things those are the byproducts of, of what's there so it's i mean it's the ultimate, you know, hate to say gift, but it is. I mean, to, it to, is. to give to someone. Well, you have been a big part of, I think, kind of changing the conversation around what a trophy is. You know, originally, you know, trophy is all about me and this ego stand behind big antlers. You know, I think you've done a masterful job of changing the conversation. It's actually, here's a trophy picture. It's me with a backstrap or a haunch. And this is the trophy parts of an animal. To me, that next step is when I see a trophy picture, it's you with somebody else. Yes. You've given, you've yeah. passed it on. That's the trophy is this experience that you've given somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny, I, I, I've started to like, that's a filter that I've started to look at, at those field pictures as like two people sharing the experience is a trophy moment. Yeah, man. It is. And it, it you know, when we started doing, I've got lots of pushback. Like, you hate fun. You hate smiles. You hate America. And I I just say, look, highlighting, you know, one expression of the, the like, what you, the byproduct of hunting is fine. We should continue to highlight all the expressions of hunting that are good. Uh, whether it's, like, time you spent with your family or, you know, your relationship with your dog that, that is running across the ice now she looking guilty. She looks so guilty. She clearly got into somebody's bait bucket. We got to, oh, Nelly, no. Um, yeah, if we stop, if, if this podcast stops right now, you'll know that Nelly knocked the recorder into the ice hole. <laughs> that was the end of the podcast. What do you call my dog? Huh? What do you call my dog? Nelly. An ice hole? An ice hole. <laughs> Damn ice hole. <laughs> Jeez. I thought maybe I was calling her the wrong name this whole time or something. <laughs> Oh, you, you looked at me with these saucer pan eyes. Like, like, what? Well, what have I done? What's her name? Her name is not Nelly. <laughs> like, I've done that before. I worked with this, uh, a young lady at Yeti and called her the wrong name for about three years. <laughs> so that's what I get. 
By the way, I can no longer feel my feet below my oh, knees. Oh, yeah. Should, we, should, we can stand up. We can... I, might... oh! I might need a hand. Oh, God. Oh, sweet. You, you want to be a mentor? Help yeah. me out. Come on. I'm the younger of the two of us. I can't, I can't stand up. I literally can't stand. Stand. I <laughs> Wait, I gotta get the, my legs went to sleep. Right, there we go. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's generational right oh. there. Well, you're truly a. Well, you're soon. You'll only be able to be a mentor. <laughs> you can't stand up. This has been uh, uh, very unsuccessful in, in uh, fishing trip. Man, I I freaking. Love this lake. Look at this. It's unbelievable I, place. Middle unbelievable. There's no way I could use my phone to take a picture of this that would do it any justice at all, unfortunately. But it, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, well, if there's one thing you had to tell people about how to how to manage new hunters or how to bring people along, what would you say? Like, is there any boilerplate, like, one line that helps people understand. I mean, this is gonna sound just so underwhelming. Just do it. Just do it. I mean, that's no shit. Like, I was just, thinking the same thing. I mean, it it can it can be intimidating. The idea is more way more intimidating. I'll guarantee it than the yeah. action. Just do it. It's it's an extension of what you do already yeah. and who you are already. Yeah. I'm convinced of it. I, um, I, and, let's, let's leave it right there. No, yeah. just do it. Just do it. We came up with that. <laughs> no one else has ever said that. <laughs> no companies have ever said that. We might make a hashtag. Uh, all right. So there's this thing I'm doing where I'm trying to test out segments, right? Because that's what a lot of people have segments. Right. I've never had them, but I'm no, sorry, test some out. So I got a couple of segments I'm going to throw at you. No preparation at all. Um, the first one is called Hotspot Cool Dude. That's what I call it. Uh-huh. And it's about where I try to convince you to give up one of your hotspots. Because so, I'm a cool dude. Because you're well, you would be if you give it up. I see. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Uh huh. And so, you know, you live in this country with all kind of access. Would you be willing to give the listeners of the Hunting Collective your bet, one of your best hunting or fishing spots? Just tell them exactly where it is and how they get to it. Are you willing to? do Absolutely, that? I am. Well, you're okay. God, I thought I'd have to like, convince you or something. <laughs> no, you're willing to do it. All right, give it to us. Give it to us. All right, so. One of the really cool dynamics over the last 10 years has been dove season in Montana. Oh, yeah. So I think what's happened on a continental basis is there's grain is being planted way farther north in Canada than it ever has been. So it used to be September 1st, we'd have a big cold front. We'd lose all the doves that we had. September 1st, dove opener. What's happened now, September 1st happens, we lose our local doves, but we get all of Canada's doves here in northeast Montana. So the dove hunting here can be like Alabama good. Oh, really? I'm not shitting you. For about two weeks. Come to Glasgow. Yep. Get a block management Mac for Region 6, and there's a block management area called the Herd, H-U-R-D. It's just out of Glasgow, about a mile and a half. It's on a county road. There's the be- it's going to be the best dove hunt you've ever had. Son of a bitch. You just gave them exactly where they got to go. And if, you, and if the herd is full of people who are listening to this podcast, right across the gravel road is called the Spaniard BMA. Go there. Go there. And hopefully, if it is full, that means people actually listen to this, which is good. Uh, or bad, depending if that's your spot. If you just lost. Angry listeners. I've been exiled from the no, Highline Sportsman. Listen, listen, the Highline Sportsman, listen up here now. He's given away a dove spot. That is like that's you know the appropriate entry level hot spot giveaway, right there. I I was hoping you'd like that tactical advantage yeah. there. I mean it's 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 a great spot. 
but it's also good for about two weeks. Yeah, the larger the animal, the more the hot spot is protected, I yeah. feel. Like, I, I Is that right? Because it's the more meat you're going to get. But hey, you asked, I gave. Cool dude, man. Cool dude. That's good. I like that segment. I thought maybe I'd have to like really... <laughs> Shy down and tickle you. me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or offer you some some kind of reward or something. But that I'm glad that you gave that. So go dove hunting, go dove block hunting. management unit. Come to Glasgow if you ever happen to be coming to Glasgow. Maybe see a Glasgow Scotties game or something like that. Um, the other one because I know if you've been in this situation. The other segment. God, was, tell me that's not a dog training question. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other one is called "Damn Near Died." This other segment I came up with, and I made these names up myself, so people you can write in and tell me how stupid they are, uh, or if they're or if they're funny and smart. Um, this one is like where you might have almost died somewhere outside, um, and I know you have a specific thing. We're probably where you're going to be thinking what I'm thinking. A specific story of where you were in a survival situation. Uh, I, I want to hear about it. Oh, this one, I mean, it's going to be disappointing, but it was pretty damn scary. Yeah. In Montana, antelope season, uh-huh. there's a block, another, another, I hunt some block management. You're a block management hunt some beef. North Ahishim is, is called Froze to Death Creek, uh-huh. and the next range over is called Starved to Death Creek, which should tell you something <laughs> about the desolation of the country. I was hunting with my buddy Steve. He shot an antelope, and the pickup was about eight miles away on this ridge. I, as we're taking care of the animal field dressing, I, I realized there was a road way closer to us on the other side. All I had to do was go by and pick up eight miles away, drive all the way around and get on this other road, and jeez, we could just drag the antelope right to it. So I did. I couldn't find the antelope once I went all the way around on this <laughs> other road. Finally, I Steve stayed with it. I found him. Uh, Steve said as we got done field dressing the antelope that his back was really bad and I would have to carry the antelope on my back to the truck. So I put it, I put the entire antelope on a frame pack. And one thing, I'm a little guy, but I'm wiry. And I just said, you know what? I'm determined. And I'm not stopping. So I didn't. And the last time I looked behind me, Steve was way behind. And the next time I looked, he was not there. I never saw him again. Yeah, we're recording, we're recording a podcast until... <laughs> My friend Steve Schindler just showed up. Steve Schindler, welcome. We're telling a story about how Andrew almost died. We're telling died. a story about uh, Steve Dalby, whom you know, shooting an antelope and froze to death creek, and I carried it out for him, and he just disappears. So I finally realized I have no idea where my pickup is. It's dark at this point, and I got an antelope on my back. Well, the first thing I did, obviously, was got rid of the antelope, but ah. Uh, I had no idea where I was in the middle of this frozen death country. Only thing I could see was the cooling tower for the coal strip power plant in the distance. So I knew that way was southeast. But I spent the entire night out there with a wet T-shirt from sweating up carrying an antelope in October. Damn near died freezing to death. Um, anyway. That's, what do we call McKean damn near died? McKean damn near died. And you made it out? I made it out fine. Do you have any uh, ill effects of your experience? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he lost a, lost a lot of weight. <laughs> lost a lot of weight. There were two remarkable things. One is just as the sun was setting, a bunch of geese came over, and this is big alkali flat. I think the geese set their wings. They started feathering down. I'm like, are they going to land on water? There's no water around here. One by one, the geese bounced across this hard pan, alkali flat. They thought it was water. <laughs> so I got to see geese totally fooled out, <laughs> and they were. You could, 
I've never seen an embarrassed goose, but they acted like, oh, I didn't see them. Nobody saw that. No, nothing to see Fly here. Fly away. Fly away. Fly away. We're fine. The second uh, thing is, in the morning when I came back to find the antelope that I had jettisoned, I found a big old arrowhead right next to the antelope. And that you was lived. Cool. I lived. Well, was there, like, what was the most desperate moment that you had? Most desperate moment, I was cold that night. Yeah. I mean, I was sweaty. It was, I had zero gear. And I realized the wind was kind of coming up, not quite like this, but it was cold. I realized I needed to protect myself thermally. So I got in this cut bank. It kind of tucked my arms in. And I must have fallen asleep a little bit because my grandmother, who had been dead for several years at the time, kind of came to me in this little little dream state and said, (laughs) my grandma was not an outdoors woman. She said, just go uphill and you're going to run into your pickup. So when I, when I kind of parsed that out, she was right. As long as I just followed every little rivulet uphill, I was going to come to a ridge. All the roads are on the ridge. And I did that, and I got you out. Won. Thanks, Grammy. Then you lived. I lived. here today. Yeah. Fort Peck. Oh, so Steve, the reason I was carrying the antelope, Steve's like, I'm going to mount it. I don't want to you know, drag the skin off of this yeah. potential mount. So... We got back to the pickup. He also spent the night on the prairie. We got re, uh, reacquainted with each other, and he said, no way am I going to mount that antelope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good way to end it. Thanks, Mr. McKean. Yeah, it was We fun. didn't catch any damn fish, but we did drink some beer. We drank a lot. My beer is totally frozen. Is it? Yeah. Mine probably is, too. We were cracking, too. <laughs> See ya. That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books. Thanks to Andrew McKean and the grand folks of Glasgow, Montana for having us up here in this beautiful lake here in Fort Peck. If you ever can make it up in this country, please do. It's a great place to be in a beautiful, beautiful part of our world. Uh, and hopefully uh, you can all go out there. And as Andrew, Andrew told you, take three people hunting uh, every year. If you're a veteran hunter and if you're a new hunter, look for a mentor find someone that you trust that can show you what they know and then take it from there it's not, there's no easy solution to that that's for sure what else what else what else well uh we're standing out here in the middle of nowhere but we we still have some stops left in the uh meat eater live tour we're going to be austin texas on april 2nd we're going to be at the bha rendezvous in early may in boise idaho those are two stops that i'll be at and i'll be on stage there with steve yanni cal and others uh, and it's fun. And speaking of that, you know, BHA Rendezvous is coming up. Hopefully you get out there and see us. Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend uh, for conservation, for hunting, for fishing, and all the things we love to do. And we're also thinking of coming out with some uh, brand new Hunting Collective merch. So if you go to the Meat Eater store and click around, you'll find that Hunting Collective merch. But there's some new stuff coming that I think you all will enjoy and i think this is a good time to let you guys all know that we are uh, planning a big relaunch for the hunting collective uh a new style a new format a bunch of new stuff coming up Um, we want to relaunch because we want to get better i've listened to all the feedback i've heard a lot of things from a lot of people Um, i've been happy with the success of the podcast but we're not going to rest on it we're going to keep on going and we're going to do it with you along with us so without with all that said See you later, man. We're going to go try to catch a fish. Maybe bring some stuff back home. Maybe a nice lake trout for the fryer. We'll see you next time, next Tuesday on the Honey Collective. See you.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.